This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot, and today I am going to be going over my rules for myself in waterfowl hunting. This is year number 32 of my waterfowl hunting career. My first hunt was around age 13, and that would have been in the 80s. My first serious waterfowl hunt was 1991. I believe 90 or 91 in the fall. And it just hooked me. Actually that first hunt at age 13 just hooked me. We would, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have decoys. We didn't have waders. It was teal season. And we went out there and just kind of sat out there hoping for something. But there was something about that marsh, the sights, the smells, this is why I am a wetland waterfowl hunter. Marshes are alive. From all the birds you see, the wildlife, the wind as it blows through the cattails, there is something absolutely magical about a shallow water marsh. For me, I want to try to immerse myself in what feels like historic nature. I want to access nature of the past. I want to feel like I'm in an environment that could have been here 500, 600, 700 years ago. When they start making mounds to hunt off, when they start putting dikes on pools, man-made ag fields, 
reservoirs. I hunt those things. But every little inch I get away from what feels like pure nature and you can see the intervention of man, my enjoyment levels start to go down a little bit. And so I think that's what I love so much about a shallow water marsh is when you get into a certain marsh that you can't see or feel anything made by man and it is alive with egrets and herons and pelicans and egrets and and rail and ducks, coots, and you can't see anyone else around. For me, it grabs something down deep out of my soul. It's like, this is how it should feel. This is how it should be. I personally am not a huge fan of big crowds. I'm not a big fan of metropolitan areas. Although a night out in downtown Kansas City can be fun. It can feel alive. There's nothing more special to me about a remote location and the the feeling of isolation. I heard Stephen Rennell, it's, it's, I, I've used this term multiple times when I heard Stephen Rennell use the phrase soaking up the lonely, that lonely feeling that's a good, peaceful feeling. When I can attach that feeling to my waterfowling, to me, that is what it is all about. And so today, that was a little side note. I wasn't planning on even talking about that, but it just really touches me. Today, I'm going to be talking about self-imposed rules that I have for myself that I try to follow. In the past, I've done videos, five sins of waterfowling. Um, I don't like it phrased that way anymore because too often we try to take the way that we do things and impose them on others. This is the way I do it. You should do it this way. Water swatting is the perfect example of that. If you choose not to water swat, that's great. But don't impose your self-governed rules on me. Don't tell me I should do it the way you do it. Unless it's something that breaks an absolute moral code. Shooting at someone too close. All right. If you set up someone within 75 yards and you're shooting into them, by all means, tell other people they shouldn't do that. If you see someone doing that, that's fine. They're breaking a moral code. You don't shoot 75 yards into people. People could get hurt. If your dog is breaking and running around the decoys and people are taking shots right over it, that's unsafe. That's a moral code they broke. You can, you can criticize and judge that. If I'm shooting ducks on water, don't tell me how I should do it if that's how you do it. I'm not breaking any moral code. There's nothing moral about that. Like if that's in a self-imposed rule that you have, don't tell me to live by your rules. And I don't want to tell you to live by my rules. And I think I've been guilty of this in the past a little bit. As waterfowlers, I think that we are a little guilty of being self-righteous. And I'm putting myself into this of being a little self-righteous a little condemning of other people's practices. Now, once again, you have to decide on these rules. Are these 
moral safety issues. For example, we don't want to leave live. Even, even this one is probably a little subjective, and but we don't want to leave live ducks in the marsh to suffer and die. Now, even that's a little subjective, and that's why we ask the question that I've asked so many people the question, how much value does the individual life of a duck have? Because if you believe that a duck's life has no value whatsoever, they're basically no more than no different than crumpling up a piece of paper and throwing it in the trash, then can I really impart that on you? That's kind of a gray one. That's kind of a gray area. I fully believe the individual life of a duck is valuable enough that we shouldn't just willingly leave wounded ones in the marsh without trying to find them. But you could say, well, I have no value. How do you tell me what I should value of that life? I don't think they have a consciousness. I don't think they have a soul. Therefore, don't put your values to me. Okay, well, we could talk about that's a gray area, but there's some of these that are not gray. I think picking up trash, that is definitely not a gray area. But I've got one on here about volume in a marsh. That's a rule for me, and I should not stick that onto you. I hope that you agree with that rule because that's how I want the atmosphere of a marsh to be. But I don't know that I can forcibly judge you and put pressure on you about that because that's a rule for me that I have. Maybe it's not a rule that you have. And water swatting is exactly into that. You don't have to water swat ever. That's cool. Do not tell me what I can and can't do as far as water swatting. You can give your opinion, but if you're going to act as though this is some type of moral sin, you're not thinking it through properly. You're just not. So in the past, I think maybe I've been a little bit guilty of like, this is how I do it. You should do it this way. I've been like that on past shooting. I think to an extent I'm that way on group hunting. You shouldn't hunt seven or eight. I think I've been guilty of those types of statements. And that's an example of me taking something that's really an opinion and acting elitist towards you about it and trying to force my ideas on you. And, and it's something that really, if you hunt seven or eight, as long as you're not breaking any laws, that should be your preference, your opinion. Another example is social media. So many older guys, they want to act like guys hunting because and loving pile picks on social media is a moral sin. That's your opinion, old man. I put myself in that category. I'm 50. If some, if someone, if their main objective is to kill limits and to post it on social media, pile picks, you have no right to judge them for that in, in a con, con condemning way. You can say, I think you would get more pleasure out of hunting if you had a more um, intrinsic value for it. But for you to act as though that is morally wrong, that is imposing your rules for yourself on others and something that's not unsafe and ultimately not immoral. And you see it so much. You see it so much in water in waterfowling. It's like this, 
this condemning of people, this like infighting. If you want to see it on display, go to the Kansas forums. You'll see it on display. There's a bunch of old men there that love to be holier than thou that love to act like they are the gatekeepers and they know what's the truth and they know what's right and they know what's wrong. And you better not have a dissenting view because if you have a dissenting view, they're going to rip your character and your motives without even knowing you. So with these, and I, we're going we're gonna to address that in a later episode. I'm having Titus and Jake on a week from today and we're going to really dive into more of that topic and more of that issue we'll get into it because it, it definitely needs to be addressed so with my rules that i'm about to put out as i'm getting older and i'm trying to be more mature better better less judgmental less trying to say i like doing it this way therefore you should do it this way these are rules that i'm having for myself my hope is that you agree with most of these rules and you choose to bring these rules into your personal practice. But if you don't, these are my rules. Now, like I said, some of these I do believe are, we can call them moral truths. Um, picking up after yourself in your trash being one of them. And some of them are just my opinions. But these are rules that I have for myself. So before we get into those, I do want to talk about the partners here on the North American Waterfowler. Um, the first one is Final Approach. Their website is fabrand.com. And I got their backpack this year. Backpacks have always been a little bit of a struggle for me because they end up being a little too small. I bring way too much crap on my hunts. I do. <laughs> and I saw Jordan from Duck Hunt Chronicles and Josh from Outdoor Limits. They had this last year. I was like, I got to get one of those and I've got it and I absolutely love it. Not fully waterproof, like you can't submerse it, but it's a fantastic bag. There are so many good products at fabrand.com. I challenge you to just go and look. Look at what they've got. If you choose to buy something, there's a 10% off code FDH10, but they have fantastic equipment. Fantastic equipment. Uh, the second one is Onyx Maps. I use it, as I've said, every single hunt. Yesterday, Fumbles and I went on a hunt, and I had, I've only had a, hunted this place one time in my life. This is time number two. I've only been into the spot about five times, the other three or four times being scouting. And so there's about a 100-yard walk to get in there, and in the dark, I get horribly turned around. I don't know if you do or I do. If you're not on a path and I'm off the path, I just get turned around. So the last couple of times been in there, I've, I've been trying to use a trail marker on the Onyx um, hunt app where I, I just have, a, it, it keeps a trail of where you're going. It tells you how far you went, how fast you went, all that stuff. And you save it. You can even name it. And so when I went in there, I go, you know, about 20 yards. I check my, I check the app, make sure I'm not on the trail. It's just, it's just fantastic. Going down, download that. And the last one, if you're looking for a duck call, you want to check out Bobby Hayes' call selection, ducklandercalls.com. And he actually has, um, you need to check out what he's doing because he's got this thing called The Tribe where he's putting out a ton of free content. He is really pushing into wanting to have an impact on the waterfowl community. It's really awesome stuff. 
But if you want to pick up a duck call, his duck calls are second to none. It's ducklandercalls.com. And over there, you can get 10% off for using the code NAW23. That's non North American waterfowl, NAW23. All right. And I would, I really, it really helps me if you support the partners. Um, so if you like what I'm doing, then support those partners. And um, it really does help me out in continuing to move forward with what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to put out two episodes a week. It's very time consuming to get this much content out and all my videos out and my other podcast, Flatlander Kennels. And if you haven't checked out the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman, that's my second podcast. He does 90% of the talking because Chris Jobman is one of the best, one of the most renowned dog trainers in North America. He's got 52 grand champions under his belt. The HRC grand is the most prestigious hunt trial game that there is. And he has third most in history over there. This guy's incredible. He, I'm actually going to have him on the podcast in a couple weeks. I'm going to bring him to you guys. Spent a lot of time with him. He is a remarkable trainer and a remarkable person. So make sure and go support that podcast in, in what we're doing over there, especially if you're a dog guy. And if you're not a dog guy and you're a North American waterfowler, man, you definitely want that content. You absolutely do. All right. So let's going to go on to rule number one that I've got for myself. And, and when I say these rules, I sat down and thought, it's like, what rules do I really live by? What rules do I want? I want to um, behave in a certain way. I want to present myself in a certain way. So what rules do I really, really try to follow? I'm sure that I've missed a couple that I follow and I'll, later on. I'll listen like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot that. The first one is shot selection. Not crippling and wounding birds of a, is of the utmost importance to me. And so my rule for shot selection, the number one is, I don't want to shoot past shooting, passing birds, although I, I do take some of those shots, but I don't want to do that. I want to shoot decoying birds. My ultimate goal in waterfowl hunting is not to kill ducks. That's not my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to kill decoying ducks with their feet down. That's my goal above everything else. And adding one onto that, my goal is to kill ducks decoying with their feet down in isolation where I don't feel like anyone else exists in my view that I can hear, that I can see. I've got the whole place to myself. I want locations that are isolated. I would rather kill three ducks feet down in isolation where I feel like I've got the whole place to myself. Going back into what I was saying, I like you can feel the history of this sport. You can feel the history of this bird for decades in the past than I would to be in a crowded marsh killing a limit of pass of passing birds with pass shots. Absolutely would. So that's my goal. Is that your goal? Doesn't have to be. That's mine. And so shot selection to me is extremely important. My rule for my shot selection is I don't want to take a shot that I'm not mad about missing. You're not going to hear me say, um, here they come. They're a little bit out there. Should we try them? You're not going to hear me say that. Maybe with snow geese. You might hear me say it with snow geese. Nothing outside of snow, probably not even snow geese. But if you hear me say it, it's going to be snow geese. Anything outside of that, I'm not doing it. I want them in tight. And I value those individual lives. The individual life of a duck is valuable enough to me 
that I'm willing to not shoot shots that are just outside of range. Rule number two, the distance rule. Um, now, this one is certainly a little subjective. I was told that, and I don't have any, I don't know if this is true. My dad told me this. I don't know where he got it. It was a while ago. But that Kansas was playing around with the idea of making a law that you had to be at least 200 or 250 yards away before you could set up. So I kind of take that as the standard, that kind of 200 to 250. There have been some times that I've set up that I've thought I've been a little bit inside of that and I felt kind of guilty for it, like 175. It's hard, it's hard to gauge distance. Gauging distance is way harder than I thought. There was these kids last year that I thought were set up about 150 yards from us. And I talked to my my buddy and he was like, man, those guys are 300 yards. And I'm like, no way. Those guys are 300 yards from me. After the hunt, I took the boat over and sure enough, it was 300 yards. I thought it was 150 in my mind. It, it's hard to gauge distance. So we can't be perfect on this, but we want to stay spaced out. I don't want to walk in and set up within 100, 150, 175 yards to you. To you. I want to stay at least 200 yards away from you. Ideally 500. Ideally, you can't even see me. So if, and you will see this on season two, if you want to see this hunt, this is season two, FDH season two, 2016. I believe this was hunt two of that year. Dan and Fumbles and I slept. We had a fantastic hunt on the first day. We walked in the second day. We were a little bit late and we walked in. We had no place to set up. There was just too many guys around. We could have crammed in and set up 75 to 100, 125 yards from people. And in that instance, we abided by the rule. It's not like I was, oh, this is the rule, guys. We can't. We discussed it. And we walked out and our day was kind of ruined. Um, because I just think that I, I look at it like this. Now, I've had people say, it's public land. How, you know, you can't, it's public land. I can do whatever I want. And, and, and my thought on that is right. Okay. So if, if you're sitting in a public park in a public space and you're on a park bench and it's you and your wife or you and your friend on a, on a two person park bench and a third person comes and sits on your lap or crams in between you and your friend the, that same that same philosophy applies. Yes, this is you. The person, hey, what are you doing, man? You're, this is you're in my personal space. You're touching me when you're sitting down. This this two seater bench was obviously taken, and you came and you sat your ass down and squished us in here, and we don't even know you. And that person can say, hey, public land. This is a public park, man. I can sit wherever I want. Right? You can, but you're an asshole if you do that. I just kind of broke my rule. <laughs> I, I broke my rule a little bit. I'm getting a little judgy here, huh? It's hard. It's hard to take things that you really believe and not strictly try to enforce others to believe what you believe. It's how it feels to me. If you set up within 200 yards in most places, to me, it feels rude. It, it's just like the park bench example. So that's my rule for myself is the 200, 200 yards. So, hey, we are going to take a real quick break here. Now, I know that I've been bringing you guys some songs. I have no idea whether you guys like it or not. Some of you may be 
keep your garbage songs off here. I don't want to listen to them. Others of you may be like, Hey, I kind of like this. I don't know. I know I like it. And one thing I'm dedicated to do on this podcast is what I like. Cause I really, right now, this podcast out of all my content is my favorite thing. I'm having more fun with this podcast than I am with the videos than I am with the FLK stuff. This is what I'm having the most fun doing. And so my dedication to myself is to do what I find fun to do. So I don't know if you're liking these songs or not, or like the segment, but that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to play two versions of the same song. I'm going to play it um, one here, and then I'm going to play one in a little bit. And then I'm going to play which of the two is my favorite at the end of this podcast. So this song is Personal Jesus. It first came out from Depeche Mode. Later, Johnny Cash redid it. Um, and I think it was later redone by Marilyn Manson, which that version I hate because it turns personal Jesus and like you're, it, it like it changed, it warped the meaning to it's your own Jesus. You are your own Jesus. And I did not like that message at all. I'm not sure what Depeche Mode's version of it was. Um, I know Johnny Cash's was an actual spiritual version of it, but I'm going to, I'm going to play about a minute of it. Um, the first one here at this break is going to be the Depeche Mode version. And then the second break is going to be the Johnny Cash version. And I'm curious as to which version you like better. So anyway, a quick break. This is Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. I will be right back. Thank you for joining me. Um, let's get back into the rules here. Or thank you for being back with me, I should say. Let's get back into the rules here. We did shot selection. We did distance, distance setup. And that shot selection thing is certainly, I wouldn't say is like, a, it, and that's, that's a great or a tough one. Now, whether you shoot pass shooting or decoying is absolutely preference. No one should tell you. If you like pass shooting, no one should tell you what you should do. If you're crippling a lot of birds, I would say that that definitely falls into the what you should and shouldn't do range. And also, extending your range can ruin things in the marsh for other people. So I'm trying to evaluate these rules as which ones are just my personal preference that I have no business imparting on you and which ones are kind of, we can call them waterfowling moral truths maybe, um, that it's okay for people to correct you on. I'd say... Summon shot selection, 
you know, whether you're a passionate or a decoyer, mind your own business. If you're crippling a lot of birds or if you're sky busting the point that it's ruining it for everyone in the marsh, now we're kind of crossing over into water valley moral truth. Distance to set up between other people. Uh, I, I would say that that 200 yards is definitely a kind of a fast rule. Um, if you get inside 150 yards, I kind of think we're into that a moral truth thing, um, but still kind of an opinion basing on my part. But this next one, I would absolutely say this is one that's okay to police each other on, judge each other on, and even condemn each other on. That's trash. Leaving trash, your trash in the marsh is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. I know for a fact, these guys that work at these public places have to go around and pick up wrappers, food wrappers, shotgun shells, condoms in the parking lots of public parks, not necessarily the hunting places, I hope. Pick up after yourself. There's absolutely no excuse to leave trash. Now, is something going to slip out that you just don't see from time to time and get left? Sure, absolutely. But we have all seen it where you see a made blind and there's so much trash in there. It feels as though it has to be conscious. Please, please pick up after yourself in the marsh. That trash is unexcusable. That's a rule for myself, but every day of the year I see trash. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a judgment mode of those people. Pick up your trash. Now, um, Here's where I can be better at this because I'm not perfect at any of these. I'm not perfect at any of these. If I'm hunting by myself um, and I and my shotgun shells and I don't just see them, there are times that I forget to look for them because sometimes you just have to look for them. If you're hunting in a group of three or four and after hunt, you've had a good hunt, you're going to look around. They're littered everywhere. That should be a no brainer for you to pick up those shells. What's hard to remember is you only have a couple passes. Let's say you and your buddy only shoot four shells each. You're not going to see them laying around, so it may not hit your consciousness, and you may forget and leave those. So that's an area that I can definitely get better on is looking around after the hunt when it's not obvious and picking them up. So hopefully that this is something that we can do better on. All of us can do better on this. So please, if you're one of those guys that just doesn't think about it, guys, it's really important that you don't leave your trash imprint on, on a public land. These are sacred grounds. These waterfowl marshes, waterfowl areas, they're sacred grounds, guys. Please treat them with more respect and, and pick up your trash. The next one, you don't hear this talked about hardly at all. Now, this is definitely one that is a rule for me that I wish other people would follow, but I can't cross over and say, if you're not following this, that you're doing anything wrong. This is volume in a marsh. It is no fun when you're hunting in a marsh to hear everyone being really loud, laughing, hucking it up. To me, that's not fun to hear that, to hear that constantly. So for me, I try to keep my voice low. I do use a whistle with Georgie and I don't love doing it, but she's trained that way. So I'm going to try to minimize my whistle blows, but I'm going to use it some, but I try to talk in a quiet tone out there. And so I think if we all, if we all do that, it's a more peaceful place, but this is certainly a rule that I keep for myself. I don't like it when I can hear people being overly loud and obnoxious. And so I'm going to try not to be 
overly loud and obnoxious with it myself as well. So that's something to think about. I think that we just don't realize how loud our voices carry. So the volume, that's just something to think about. I know my dad had a hunting partner named Wayne, and I felt like the two of them were terribly loud when we hunted. I knew that when they talked, they were just talking and having fun. And uh, I just always felt like I don't want people 300, 400 yards away from us just hearing us constantly laughing. I feel like that our volume is invasive to their hunt. I want to be quiet in the marsh. I want to keep a low, a low volume profile in the marsh. And so this might be something to think about. Now, I, I was never the point. It's hard. Like when your buddies are being too loud to shush your buddies in the marsh is not really something, you know, I think that you can do. There's been a couple times lately where I felt like our group was being a little bit loud and I, I don't, I just don't feel like that. I can be like, Hey, shh, shh. you know, that's not my, that's cause this is totally a me thing, hundred percent of me thing, but that's a rule for myself. Try to keep my volume, try to keep my volume down. Next one is boat ramp etiquette. Um, and you know, this one, I think it's okay to get a little upset with people when people don't prep their boat and they go sit at the boat ramp and they do all of their prepping at the boat ramp and they're hogging. Let's say you have one lane for a boat and they do all their prep prep there and it takes them in and, and they don't act as though they have any sense of urgency. That that's a thing that's difficult to stomach. You know, you're anxious to get on the water the guy in front this happens with fishing a lot the guy in front of you is doing all his prep work down by the water and his body language is telling you you're just gonna have to wait i don't care body language makes a big difference <laughs> if you see someone trying to hustle around it makes a difference to how you feel but guys that are you know just kind of haphazardly prepping their boat and holding you up um that can be a little annoying so for me i definitely try to prep my boat ahead of time uh, get it all ready so that when I take up that spot that no one else can hit it, boom, the boat's off and you're gone. Um, next rule for myself is I want to eat everything that I consume. I want to find everything in the marsh that I can consume that, that I that I shoot. And then I want to try to consume it. I think that if we're being honest, all of us at one time or another have put meat in the freezer and it eventually gets thrown out. I don't think that's a good practice. I think that's devaluing the life of what we seek and what we go after. So if you're going to shoot it, spend time finding it, get it home, get it consumed. Uh, and I, 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 there are times that I've made that I haven't done a good job of getting it consumed. There really have, uh, where do you want it? Hit? I try to not let my meat hit the freezer. Because if it hits the freezer, it's the let the chance of it getting consumed quickly goes down because you have to go through the whole thaw process. And, and so what I try to do is get it into the fridge and have it consumed within that three or four days and never let it get to the freezer point. Um, so that's definitely what I want, what I want to do in um, cons consuming meat. Let's go ahead and jump to one more break here. So I'm going to play for you the second version um, of Personal Jesus. This one's from Johnny Cash. And I want you to be thinking, which one do you like better? Feel free to email me. Let me know. Do you like the first one better or the second one better? So here we go. Personal Jesus by Johnny Cash. Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares. Your own 
personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers Someone who's there Feeling unknown and you're all alone Flesh and bone by the telephone Lift up the receiver, I'll make you a believer Take second best, put me to the test Things on your chest, you need to confess I will deliver, you know I'm a forgiver Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith All right, we are into our last little segment here. I've got two more two more group rules or two more rules for myself that I hold when waterfowl hunting. I don't know if you agree with them, I don't know if you disagree with them, but these are our Definitely things that I try to live by in my waterfowling. Um, and this is group hunting. Now, this one is actually whether you're legal or not. The law states that you need to know which birds that you shot. So if you're out with four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys, whatever, and you guys are just dropping birds and you don't know who shot what, that's illegal. You need to have your own pile. Now, you don't always know what you did and didn't shot, but some groups don't even discuss it. What we try to do is, is like, who shot what? Whose is this? And you give it to the bird, the person that it's assigned to. If you decide, if we decide Aiden shot something, Aiden's got the birds, they're with him. Um, when I was down at Joel Strickland's, the last guide service he worked for, Cypress Crossings, they had um, straps for each guy. And so they're putting them in the strap. Now, you didn't really know. It wasn't really talked about who shot what, but there was a strap for each person. So it was getting it divided up. You can't just have them in a big pile. And I want to know what's assigned to me. It's not enough for me to just shoot, shoot, shoot. I want to know, yes, that was my bird. Give me that bird. Let me touch that bird. Let me see its feathers. Let, let, me, let me hold it. That's what I personally want. So you don't you don't have to be as thorough about it as my group is because we're always like oh uh, when i shoot if i think i killed something and other people are shooting at it here's how i'll phrase it to other people i think that i shot that bird did, did anyone else think they shot that bird what you don't want to say is i shot it that's mine right because you don't know there are times in which i've seen on video the shots are simultaneous so when you pull the trigger, someone else is pulling the trigger at the exact time and you have no idea someone else shot the bird. And so through your vision, because you pulled the trigger and that bird crumpled and wow, I know I shot that bird. Well, you really don't know you shot that bird because someone else pulled the trigger the exact same time as you. So your brain did not register that that trigger was pulled the same time your trigger was pulled. So visually, it certainly looks as though you shot the bird. It feels as though you shot the bird, but you actually don't know that you shot the bird. 
I had a really bad example of this. I'll give you two. I'll give you two stories about this. One was I was the dumb one. And the other one was another kid was the dumb one. So when I was a dumb one, we were out pheasant and quail hunting in my old uncle's land in the gypsum hills. And we came across a pond <coughs> that had a bunch of ducks on it. And there was four or five of us. And we snuck up on the pond. We were going to, whenever we were upland hunting, and we, we always jump ponds if we found them and jump. And that was really added to the day. Yeah. I shot this many pheasants, this many quail. And look, we got these many ducks. And so we snuck up over the NAM and we started unloading the four of us. I think it might've been five of us started unloading five birds dropped. And I claimed that I shot a triple. I was just like, I shot three. I shot three. I shot three. It's like this four guy shooting, man. You make yourself look like a dope. <laughs> I don't know if I shot three. I thought I did at the time. I was like in high school, but you don't know. Just, just the other day, there was a pass that came in. I saw this on my shot. I saw this on my shot cam. Four teal came in. I shot one dropped in the timing of when I pulled the trigger. And in my mind, I thought I'm not confident about it, but I think I might've shot that bird on shot cam footage. It wasn't even the bird that I had shot at. I shot at the second bird, the fourth bird dropped, but the timing of it from when I pulled the trigger and that bird crumpled was perfect. And my mind told me in that split second, I might've killed that. Now, I wasn't emphatic about it, but I wasn't even shooting at the bird that folded and my mind told me I shot it. So, which was crazy. So you, you, in that group hunting scenario or even with your group, you just can't start claiming out birds emphatically as like fact I shot. And so you just want to do it like, and if my buddy Jeremy's listening, cause I know that in one hunt, I, I remember Jeremy saying, I don't want to be the kind of guy that calls all the birds. You don't Jeremy, you don't. So I'm not speaking to you on this. You handle it just fine. It always just needs to be phrases. I th I thought I I thought I shot that bird. I think I shot that bird. You never just want to be the claiming guy. Did anyone else think they shot the bird? And so if Jeremy and I both say that we shot the bird, I really thought I shot it. I really thought I shot it. If I'm sitting with four birds, Jeremy's sitting with two birds, we're probably going to be like, all right, Jeremy, yeah, go ahead. That You can take that one. That's your third. What we don't do is just say, all right, add it to the group pile. That's illegal. That's illegal to do. To just add it to the group pile. There should not be a group pile. There should not be a group pile. There should be individual piles assigned to each person. Now, one rule for me that is completely 100% my own preference is I don't want to hunt more than four people. I have hunted five. I don't think I've ever, I can, I know. Well, when I was down at Cypress Crossing, I hunted more than five, but that was a different situation. In my public land hunting, I've never, I don't ever remember hunting more than five and I've only hunted five, like once that I can remember. Maybe there's another time I really one, two or three is where I want to be. I either want to be by myself because I love that feeling by myself with one other buddy or with two other buddies. That's where I want to be Four, I'll do it. Don't really care for it, but I don't want to do more than four. Now I'm going to try a bigger hunt with Jake at some point where it's like seven days. Cause I, I can't just constantly say that I don't like it without doing it. So I will do it at some point, 
So, but that's my, my general, general rule. So the other story I was going to tell you about bird killer claimers is my dad, uncle, cousin, and I, the four of us, we um, went to this guide service in these goose pits and, um, all day long, my uncle and my cousin, specifically my cousin, cause he was younger than me. I'm in high school. So he's like early high school, late middle school. He's like claiming everything. He's just claiming everything. And by the end of the hunt, I like felt like down, like, man, I don't didn't really kill anything. I, I didn't, I didn't really wasn't very successful. And my dad got to cleaning the birds and we were using a different shot size than my uncle and my cousin were. And my dad said almost every single bird that he cleaned had our shot size in it. But they were being, especially my cousin was being so aggressive on the claiming he killed them that we didn't think that we had. <laughs> so anyway, interesting stuff. So the last one that I've got, and then we will wrap this up is spot stealing. So here are my rules. These I do believe are the correct rules. Now I will tell you how I address it because I want people around me and people that I'm sharing my spots with to abide by these rules or I don't, or I don't want to be showing them quote unquote, my places. And let me to define what my place means. Yes, I understand it's public land. It's all of our place. But if I've put all the, the footwork down, there are certain marshes that everyone knows about. Everyone knows about. They're the common marshes. They're the heavily trafficked marshes. Everyone knows about those. My places, what I the ones I call my places, are ones that have taken a little extra scouting, a little less traveled. Maybe you know what's there, but you don't understand how successful it is. You don't understand under what circumstances it's so successful. If I take you to one of those places, or I, let me turn this around because I don't want to be, I said at the beginning, I don't want to be bringing this outward. I want to be bringing it inwards to myself. <coughs> If somebody brings me to one of their places and I want to go back to one of their places and I didn't know it was there, I had never hunted it, I didn't know it existed. Now, if I know of this pool, like, hey, we're going to um, Billy Bob Creek Marsh. Like, yeah, I know about that place. I've never hunted it. I know about it. I know it's there. I've seen it. Well, I can go to that whenever I want to. That's a commonly known place. But if one of my buddies takes me to a place like I didn't know about, didn't really know it was there, never hunted it, didn't know it was successful, if he takes me to it, that doesn't unlock my ability to hunt that whenever I want to. His effort, his knowledge, his time went into that place. He took me there. So if I want to hunt that again, he and I need to have a conversation. And depending on how secret the spot is, there's one place my buddy Charlie told me about. I've never hunted it. Now, I would, I still to this day, Charlie told this to me about like 10 years ago. I still have not hunted it. I know it's there. And still to this day, if I was going to hunt that, I would probably check with Charlie. I had no idea they shot ducks in this area of the lake until he told me. So I'm still going to pay him that respect. If I want to hunt it and just say, Hey, Charlie, I know you told me about this playing Are you, is that cool? Are you going in there that day? Are you cool with me going in there that day? That's how it's going to play out. And so that, that goes to that, uh, those marshes. If you take me to a place that I didn't know was good, I didn't know was there. 
I better ask you if I'm going back because you showed that to me. If I take someone, word travels really fast in the waterfowl sport. Word travels really fast. <coughs> so that's my rule. That's my rule for that. It, you're going to get a phone call and an ask. And Ben the man, it's kind of been that way with Ben the man. Because last year, um, Ben the man took me and Aiden and Fumbles to this lake spot. We didn't know existed. Aiden wanted to hunt it the next year. Aiden called and talked to Ben. I wanted to hunt it this year. Two years later, I called and talked to Ben. And you know what? He and his son and his grandpa were planning on going there. So what happens if Ben takes me to this spot two years ago and we kill all these limits? Two years later, we beat him into his spot that he showed us. It's my opinion that that's not good. He's trying to take his kid and his dad or his dad-in-law, father-in-law, I can't remember which, into this spot that he showed us and we beat him into it. You see, you see the dilemma there with that? Or better yet, I start, or worse yet, I start running my mouth to people. And then some guy that I told about Ben the Man's spot beats Ben in there. Now, it's not Ben's spot. It's public land. But especially in this state where we just do not have much public land, land places are of the utmost importance because we don't have that much public land. And so I believe there should be some rules and procedures about locations and being respectful about it. So I don't know if you feel like I'm off base on this stuff, or if you feel like I missed a rule, please look me up Instagram at freelance duck hunting email is freelance duck hunting at gmail.com. Tell me where, if you think that I'm off on one of these, you don't agree, email me. If you want, if you have one to add to it and you think I forgot one, let me know of that. And who knows? I've got a comment, comment of the week every week coming up. I might use those for comment of the weeks. Um, and I'm still looking for you water swatter haters for someone to come on here and have a conversation with me and try to change my mind about my, my ideas of water swatting. Cause some of you think that it's like one of the most unethical things on the planet. Cause it really triggers you. Please let me know. Come on here. We'll have that conversation. We'll talk about it. I would love to have that. I, I want at some point to have someone on to talk about these things. Or if there's anything I said out of this list, you're like, you are way off base on that. I would love to have some, some listeners on to like challenge me on some of this stuff. So anyway, thank you for joining me today. Remember, every, I'm trying to get out releases every Monday, every Thursday. You can support me by listening to it, telling your friends about it as we try to grow this podcast along. If you want to really support what I'm doing, you can find me at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting, where there's all sorts of extra content over there, extra podcast segments are going on over there. And here is, you're about to listen to my favorite, my favorite of the two personal Jesus songs, Depeche Mode versus Johnny Cash. Let's roll it out with that one. Until next time, you have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Your own personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers 
someone who cares Your own personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers Someone who's there Feeling unknown and you're all alone Flesh and bone by the telephone Lift up the receiver, I'll make you a believer Take second best, put me to the test Things on your chest, you need to confess I will deliver, you know I'm a forgiver Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith Your own personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers Someone who cares Your own Personal Jesus Someone to hear your prayers Someone to care Feeling unknown and you're all alone Flesh and bone by the telephone Lift up the receiver, I'll make you a believer I will deliver, you know I'm a forgiver Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith Reach out and touch faith